Welcome to another episode of The Family Business, where we talk about how your careers and your family are intertwined, and I have the luxury of introducing Sangona Orieto, one of my favorite people. She was kind enough to be on the show. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I've wanted to get you on here for a while. <laughs> Folks, she's funny. All right, so the easiest way to start is just take a quick 30 seconds to a minute and give everyone a snapshot of, of where you are. Uh, and where you live. And then after that, we can get into all the fun stuff and talk about because your life is unique. So let's we'll get into it. But I want everyone to get at least some perspective of who you are. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Well, um, I reside in San Francisco, and I've actually spent more than half my life here, although I, I wouldn't consider myself a San Franciscan. So I'm actually a child of the Midwest. Um, I grew up in a in a household with a, a native Wisconsinite mother and an African father. And so the Midwest was really the place where, where I grew up um, and, and certainly formed and shaped who I am today. Um, I came out to California for college, actually for undergrad, as you know, Matt, and then stayed, stayed for work, went into the high tech space, kind of did the engineering gig around .com 2.0, um, ultimately felt the yearn to career switch. So I went to business school. Um, and after that, you know, pursued a career in marketing, which is actually what brought me back to the Bay Area to participate in, in the healthcare sector. So I've been a lot of places. California is now what I call home. And uh, San Francisco is, is home for now. So so let's pick up on that. When you make that adjustment, because I, I can't tell you how many engineers with an MBA that I know. I mean, mm -hmm. thousands. And But I'm always curious, what was the impetus? Like, so you're going to engineering school and you you get out into the world doing some engineering and then all of a sudden you get bit by some kind of commercial bug. Did something happen? Was there a watershed kind of moment for you? I, I think um, I think it was progressive. It was it was definitely a, a slow a slow build. Um, and it was actually when I was having the most success in my career as an engineer that I felt the most compelled to leave, which seems very counterintuitive. But I would say, you know, like a lot of engineering grads in the early 2000s, the, the economy at first was booming. And, you know, there were so many job opportunities. But when you go from a very sort of academic engineering environment into a professional one, and you, you learn that you're not really doing the kind of engineering that you would train for, it can be somewhat disillusioning. Fast forward sort of five, seven years later, I had actually managed to find my groove in part because I left the high tech space. And and was doing engineering work actually in the biopharmaceutical space, and it was in that environment where um, I was doing really well. I had really strong sponsorship and development. But what what sort of got me interested in making a transition to commercial, uh, more commercially facing role was that at that company, that company in particular had a very strong patient right, very strong patient orientation. And because of that, I got to meet real patients. I got to meet physicians who used the products that I helped to build. And I really discovered, um, I had a had a very, very strong interest in connecting much more with patients and, and physicians and providers. And, and that's when I realized I love the space that I was in, but not, not necessarily the role and the occupation. And so that that's what kind of gave me the impetus to start to look outside of engineering um, into sales, marketing, operations, and some of these other roles. It's amazing that someone could be so good at two things that are fairly, I wouldn't call them polar opposites, but they're certainly different ends of a spectrum. And yet it's like somebody who, who's a fantastic singer, dancer, and, and they're sensational at playing baseball. And you're like, wow, you're good at both? Yeah, I kind of am. And so it's interesting. Now, so let's peel that back. So in high school, I imagine you were a strong student there as well. 
were were you that kind of way where you were this mix of very technical and also some creative piece as well? Was it showing then? Yeah, I would, um, you know, I, I give my parents a lot of credit for for really um, impressing upon me that that the sky is the limit, right? That that you know, as as people and as humans, we can have, uh, you know, we can have a lot of facets to ourselves, and you don't need to be just good at math or just the good musician or just a good athlete. And and I'll tell you, that's very contra contradictory to the way teenagers think about themselves, right? Everybody's struggling to find their identity, and and you want to pick a lane. You want to pick your group. Am I an athlete? Am I a geek? Am I a theater kid? Like, what am I? And so it's actually really hard to to sort of wear those multiple hats. But it was actually my parents and my brother, my older brother, to be quite honest, that showed me that, um, you know what, like, you can have multiple interests and passions and pursue those. And academically, you you can, should, and strive to, to be as excellent as you can, right? The best version of yourself across all of your fields of study. And so it was expected in my household that um, I'd be, you know, very strong in math. We didn't really have the term STEM back then, right? This precedes the idea of, of STEM, but it was it was expected that I had the competency to be, you know, very strong in, in math and sciences and also the competency to be strong, you know, as, um, you know, and proficient with English and creative writing and also to be a varsity athlete, right? They didn't treat those as sort of mutually exclusive goals. They said, you you go do and you do all the things you want to do and do them well. Um, and so I've really taken that forward in my life. And it's really helped in moments where you, sometimes you feel these different parts of yourself in conflict, right? You get older, you have a lot more demands on your time. And so ultimately you do have to choose what you're going to focus on and, and the things you're going to commit your time to. But I, I still have this ethos in the back of my mind that is, you know, I'm I'm actually a better business person, right? And I'm a better marketer because I also have a passion and an interest and and a competency, right, for engineering and for science. Um, I'm a better mom and parent because I I work and I have a professional life. So, you know, it, it's a work in progress, but that's been a part of of who I am since I yeah I, I knew you'd be days. good on this because that. You're validating me because you're someone I respect that that's exactly what I tell my kids and the people that I get exposed to is variety is the route to go, not stay in your lane. You know, that mm-hmm. that's the whole point. It, it How do you know if you love something? How do you know if something's going to benefit you if you say, well, I, I can't. I have to keep doing this. And it's – it's such a mistake. These parents push their kids early. They they show aptitude in something. Then mm-hmm. they say, well, just do that. I'm like, well, why can't they do that and this? And Absolutely. That's terrific. So so how do you do that with your girls? How do you explain that to them? Because what happens if they fall? Like you have – she's eight, the oldest one? Yeah, I have uh, – my older one's nine and my nine little now. one just turned five yesterday. Yeah. So, so they're starting to have an opinion and they're starting mm-hmm. to have areas where they can see, you know what? I'm kind of good at this. So how do you manage that and say, look, I know you're good at this, but I'd love for you to try theater or I'd love for you to try sports or I'd love for you to try creative writing. Like how do you have those conversations with them? Yeah, you know, it, it, I think it really depends on the individual personality and predilections of, of the child. Um, my older one, to say she has opinions is is, is a euphemism. Um, she is deeply passionate about the things that she likes and deeply passionate about the things she does not like, right? She really is that person. She she has a lane. She likes to do things where she thinks she's good, where she has a comfort zone. And But at the same time, she also has the intellect now as a nine-year-old to understand 
feedback or just things I give her to consider, right? Which is, you know, how do you know you don't like it if you've never tried it, right? And I, I just try to offer examples of times when, you know, we've we've encouraged her to do or try different things where it has turned out well, right? And so she's she's open to rational-based arguments, not value-based ones. And so we can actually sort of have that dialogue around, listen, you know, you have a long life ahead of you. And, and my job as a parent is, is to help you cultivate options and just expose you to as much stuff as you can. And, and she really does end up, you know, enjoying more often than not things that we expose her to. And, and when she doesn't, we say, all right, you tried it, right? All we ask is that you try um, and you can move on and do something else now. Yeah, we, in my family, we call it a no thank you bite. You have to try whatever it is. My kids eat everything. But you know, it's funny that you say that because that is exactly what happened in my house. My daughter is not an athlete, but she wanted to because I coach everything. So she said, I want to play softball. She didn't even know how to hold a bat. And so I mm-hmm. agreed to coach. It was a horrible experience as far as like her development and her getting into the game. Like she just didn't like it. The girls were yeah. fun. We had a ton of laughs. We won one game the entire year. And we lost by a lot because softball is very different. The girls just keep running around the bases. And uh, to this day, she's 18 years old, and this was nine years ago, eight years ago. We still laugh like crazy over how ridiculous that season was and how how terrible we were as a team. And so even when something is not a good experience and not fun, it still turns into a family collection of memories that that we, we bonded over. Yeah. And and it, yeah, we still talk about the one game we won, which was a miracle. And uh, yeah. anyhow, so um, does the four year old emulate the eight year old or five year old? She's been with the oh, nine. She's she's she's. They are night and day difference. Yeah. Um, you know, my five year old is down for whatever. Um, I mean that in a very family friendly sense. She <laughs> she will try anything and everything. I actually like to say that my my nine year old is a little bit underconfident relative to her skill set. Actually, she she my nine year old sort of lacks a little bit of confidence until she believes she can master something. My five-year-old's completely different. My five-year-old's overconfident. She thinks she's way better at everything she engages in than she actually is, um, usually to to a hilarious degree. Um, and so she's she will do and try anything. Every she has a she has a joie de vivre. Everything is fun and interesting to her. So um that's why I say it again, I think it's very, very personality dependent. But Matt, to your earlier point around, you know, the example you gave with your daughter, I I I find that so wonderful because, you know, younger kids, again, have this idea that if you do something, you have to be excellent at it. And and what I'm trying to sort of reprogram with my daughter, my older one, is that, you know, it's not about being excellent, right? It's about just developing behaviors of trying new things, taking risks, and not not worrying about you know, if you're going to be the best or if you're going to succeed or fail. And, And they talk about this effect a lot with gender differences and how boys and girls are actually raised, right? And that boys are, are raised to, to be risk takers and not worry about perfection. But, you know, society embeds a lot of perfectionism in women. And I, I see this already with my nine-year-old daughter. So I'm just trying to get her to, to try, right? Try, take risks and, and sort of build a muscle for doing this without worrying about, you know, how she's going to look, how she'll be perceived, uh, how excellent she'll be at it and and whether or not she's going to succeed. Yeah, so there, there's a kid... My son is 16, but uh, three years ago, they were going through the bar mitzvah circuit. I don't know if they have yeah. that as much in California, but down here. Oh, they do. Oh, they do. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so my, my kids went through it, and there are three or four girls he's really tight with, and they were running a little late to a service. And so they're all dressed up, 
and they're they're running late and the mother's like everybody relax we're gonna get you there you'll be a few minutes late no big deal three of the girls were terrified that everyone's gonna turn around and look at them because whenever you open the door in the temple it's usually pretty quiet and everyone turns around it's just the nature of of the service the fourth one who's the just phenomenal kid she goes i hope because we look fabulous and i'm like that's the kid that i love that yeah. her attitude is <laughs> they better look at us look how good we look like yeah. it's just it's just a very different way and exactly what you're talking about the mother is very empowering for that kid and so you're absolutely right it, it is a way to teach you how to laugh at yourself and laugh at a situation and power through something that really stinks yes because it's a life 100%. skill do you think because you grew up in a bit of a, a, a multicultural family, and mm-hmm. I don't know what part of Africa your dad's from. Refresh my He's memory. from Kenya. Yeah, he's, from he's Kenya. Kenyan. Okay. So I've had the good fortune of doing a significant amount of work with folks from Africa, and, and for the life of me, I couldn't explain why. Uh, Nigeria in particular. That uh, does not surprise me. <laughs> the education level is very high there from the yeah, people no. that I've talked to. And so – so I wonder, is that part of your perspective? Is that he just has a different upbringing of his own and he has a different way of family and, and experiencing things or or is it just you? You know, I I, I absolutely think my, my dad and actually really both of my parents' background were integral to how I was raised. Um, but they were so slick about it, Matt. They didn't, yeah. they didn't encumber me with their with their baggage. And this is you know, we know this as parents, this is really hard, right? To not pass your baggage on, onto your children. Um, both of them came from very, you know, even my mom coming from Northern Wisconsin, they came from large rural poor families, right? They came from very, very under-resourced settings where each of them respectively really had to, had to like just claw their way to any opportunity they, they had. Um, and then again, rather than, than sort of use that that like, you know, their upbringing in an imposing sense to say, you know, right, be very sort of tiger parent, drill it into me. They were just very balanced about it. They said, listen, right? Like, I, again, we, we want you to have some opportunities. We're going to try to expose these to you. Because let me let me tell you, I, <laughs> I, I am so similar to the way that my daughter is today. And that um, I, you know, was a little bit underconfident. I like to stay in my comfort zone. I did not like to try new things. Um, I didn't believe I could be successful at more than one thing. And my parents were always nudging me, as I said. And it's absolutely because, you know, my dad came from an environment, my mom too, where where opportunities were very, very hard to come by, exceptionally hard to come by. And all they wanted for their kids was to have some opportunity. And honestly, the freedom to choose in a way that that they didn't have, right, freedom of of choice because their choices were very limited. And so just, you know, step by step, right? They they would just kind of keep gently nudging me, but I give my dad in particular a lot of credit because he never hung me with the immigrant guilt, right? He never he never sort of saddled me with the, well, do you know when I grew up I I didn't even have indoor plumbing or do you know when I grew up I I had to be sort of the top boy in my elementary school to even qualify to go to this high school, or I had to be the top, you know, I had to be the valedictorian in my high school class to even apply for the scholarship. I had to be the top person in the state to even, you know, apply for, for, you know, this, this program to visit the United States to study. And then when I was there, I was basically an indentured servant, right? He never strapped me with all of that, but it absolutely shaped, right? The way in which he would constantly guide me, right? Towards opportunity, doing more, maximizing, right? Everything that, that kind of came my way. Is he still with us? 
I am. Can you hear me? No, I said, is he? Is he still with us? Oh, it's he. Oh, goodness. He is. Yeah. Right. He, I got to meet uh, this guy. Yeah. He recently, you know what? He's, he's awesome. I mean, he recently turned 81. Yeah, my he dad lived- too. Oh, yeah. all right. We should get them together. He recently turned 81. Um, you know, he, he's highly educated, two master's degree, a PhD. He lived and worked in the United States for 46 years. And um, a number of years after my mom, unfortunately, passed away from breast cancer, he decided to retire and move back to Kenya and, and set up shop back in Kenya. Um, and he, if you met him again, he is the most, you know, just balanced, uh, you know, approachable, even keeled, wonderful person you would ever meet, super friendly, gets along with anybody from any walk of life, even folks that are predisposed to not like him because of his race or his national origin or his accent. Um, and, and you know, just the impression he's left upon me through his example, not by sort of directing me to do things. It's, it's life, you know, it's lifelong. It's it's lasting and it's enduring. Oh, look, look what it's done. I mean, you, you've had quite a run. So tell me a bit about your husband. Like, what has that been like? Because this is obviously, you're a very strong person with a strong <laughs> mind and you have conviction. And now this guy has got to somehow get on your page to an extent. So tell me a bit of that. How'd y'all meet? And give me give me some background there. Yeah, so my husband's name is Kieran. Um, he's amazing. And... You know, I, I don't usually like to rely on tropes, but I'll, I'll this will be my one for this conversation, okay. Matt. I um, won't record it. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, when Sheryl Sandberg wrote Lean In, which, you know, let's let's face it, is, is kind of a controversial book, depending on who you talk to. Let me just stop you for a second. Fun fact, she grew up around the corner from me. Did she? I knew her all through elementary I mean, school can you, and middle school and high school. You, can, you, can you introduce us? Um, she, she was always the smartest person in every room she was ever in. That's that's amazing. And I I'm here for it. Um, Cheryl wrote in that book um, that. You know, for women, the, the person you marry, if you choose to marry, is actually one of the most important professional decisions you'll ever make, Yep. because. You know, the, the burdens of society on women and working women are exceptional and your partner whether honestly, whether it's it's a it's a spouse or a lifelong partner, uh, a wife, you know, whatever whatever your life circumstance may be, um, is either going to enable that, or they are going to be they're going to be a weight or an anchor or a blocker, right, to what you do. Um, so I've been in very I've been incredibly fortunate that I met my husband Kieran. We're approaching twenty years ago, which blows my mind. Um, and that we not only had a very sort of strong romantic right relationship, but that we get along very well, right? Because you know what it is when when you're married for so long, romance and love isn't enough to sustain a relationship. Like this person is like your wartime conciliary, right? Mm-hmm. They're your partner. <laughs> you have to figure out you have to figure out how how you're gonna like be commanders in chief of of this household that you run and these little humans that that are on the grid. Um, and balance your work lives and, and still find a way to make time for each other. So we met in San Francisco 20 years ago through mutual friends, um, actually through travels to Asia, long story there. Uh, he's a Long Island boy. He's a Long Island Irish kid. His parents were both Irish immigrants to New York. Wow, really? Um, and, and so- Does he have a brogue? He has a Long Island brogue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and, you, you know, he- he kind of grew up in the financial services sector okay. of New York um, through the 90s and 2000s, and then 
decided that that lifestyle was very toxic for him. And he decided to relocate to San Francisco where, where we met. Um, and so what's wild about him is that, you know, we, we couldn't be more diametrically opposed in terms of our backgrounds and where we come from and, and sort of the sectors in which we, we work professionally. And yet something about the way that we were both raised, I, I actually really attribute it to us both having immigrant parents um, and having that experience gives us a very similar outlook on life. Um, you know, we share a very similar political and so- social ideology. We share a love of of travel and sort of aspirations for how we want to live our lives and, and raise our kids. And I mean, listen, there's certainly plenty of conflict because without conflict, it wouldn't be boring and there would be no growth. But I, I think about other boyfriends, partners and lovers I've had along the way. And I could say unequivocally, if I had married any of them, I would not be married right now. Right. I, 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 I can look at all my past. <laughs> that is incredibly introspective. No, I can look at all my past relationships and and 100 percent understand that that they were what they were at that moment in time, but would be doomed to fail as a marriage, in part because I'm kind of an alpha woman um, and that's a lot to take. Um, in part because while my husband has a very sort of healthy and thriving and viable career, there's a lot that he's done to, again, enable me to elevate that I don't think a lot of other boyfriends or peers, like we would be in competition, yep. right, for each other. And 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 I'm not with my husband. It's it's awesome. <laughs> uh, look, it, we, we say all the time in my house, same team. You know, it's always same team. And my wife has had moments of tremendous success and, and I've been the first person to, to get in line to congratulate her. I, I can't tell you how many dance recitals I've gone to by myself and made ponytails and done all kinds of things because she was traveling around the world and living this incredibly, uh, career minded, exciting life. And mine was me trudging away at recruiting while taking care of two kids. And, and now it's flipped and she does a lot of the heavy lifting and we have always been, you know, your success is my success and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. And that's just the way it's been. And I, and I think that that is what translates to a long-term marriage. If, if you feel any resentment or any jealousy or any envy, it, it can't work. It, it festers, you know, and, and it, it, it's just it, a slippery it, yeah. slope. It absolutely festers. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm at that phase of life where my first my first wave of friends are getting divorced. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of call it the, I think there are two waves. Somebody check with a sociology or a sociologist and get back to me. But I think there's this first wave of, okay, you've had, you've had kids, you've gotten them so far, right? You're out of the, uh, out of the triage of having a newborn or a very young kid. Now they're school aged, but you've been through so much and you look at your partner and you realize that you're deeply unhappy, right? Yeah. You've been holding it together. You had kids, but you're, you're so far apart and where you want to go that, that the marriage isn't sustainable. Um, and then you've got the second wave after the kids leave for college. But, you know, through watching my friends go, go through divorce again, it's been, it's been very eye-opening. And I, I've, what I've observed in some of these cases is where people have assumed roles, right. In the relationship to survive, but one partner was really unhappy about the role that they had to play. Right. Um, and oftentimes actually the other partner wasn't aware that their partner was deeply unhappy about the role they've had to play. And that goes for both men and women. I'm not even talking about just traditional sort of female gender roles as being a caregiver. Um, so it's, it, again, it's been very eye-opening. And my husband and I have had to look at each other and really question if we're, if we're living our lives in a way that, that is true to who we are and that we are the lives that we want to live. Right. I don't want to look at my spouse in 
in another 10 years when our kids start to go off to college and see that there's nothing there. Yep. Right. That, that we've been in a marriage and name only. We have a rule at our house. It's uh, you ever heard of the term gunny sack? Mm-hmm. So we have a gunny sack rule is three days. <laughs> if you can't hold on to anything for more than three days, even if it's, you're upset about the way I load the dishwasher, I don't care. Whatever it is, you got to say it. And she knows the same from me. And the only time we've ever had friction in, in our marriage is when we held on to something. Mm-hmm. And you could always tell after a week, you're like, you're gunny sacking something. What, what's going on? Yeah, you, you did this, 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 and this. I'm like, well, okay, well, why did it need to blow up? I, just tell me. I, I know I screwed up. I'm, <laughs> I, in the first time I made a mistake. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I always try to, when young couples, because I talked to a lot of young people in their career just getting married. And I'm like, look, these mm-hmm. are some of the things you might want to talk about and consider because it, it definitely, it's like a pressure cooker. If you release the valve from time to time, mm-hmm. the food comes out beautiful. Don't release the valve, you get an explosion. And, and that's just the way that it works. So you've had this kind of storybook career. You've worked in, in you know, a meaningful career with J&J LifeScan, and then you're doing great at iRhythm. You have, you've had significant success. And I'm curious about those decisions that you've made as it relates to your family, choices that you made when you've changed roles or taken on more responsibility at your job and realizing, huh, I may have to travel more or huh. Um, that's, that may be a step sideways for me in my career, but it allows me to, to let my husband step forward on something in his mm-hmm. career. Like, mm-hmm. I'm curious about those items. Cause I know you've probably to make those choices with all the things that you've done. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my comments are going to be deeply unsatisfying because the reality is until this point, there has not been a lot of thoughtfulness behind the approach. I have just leapt at every opportunity that, that has come my way. I mean, there's certainly been things I've said no to, and there's also been opportunities I've pursued that I haven't landed, right? Like, like all of us, um, you know, you're giving me a lot of credit. So I just want to be, I want to be honest about that, but where, you know, where I've, I've made sort of progress in my career in a way that sort of looks great on paper, right? Um, it's been because I've, I've just pushed and driven really hard and I, I check in with my husband and he's supportive and then I go for it. And it's usually not until a minute that I'm like, oh, you start to see the fallout, right? You start to see where where things infringe on your life in a way maybe that you weren't anticipating, or um, maybe not on, on your life, but you know, just the work environment is different, or the job is different than what you thought, right? And so, what's interesting right now is I'm at I'm at a pretty interesting inflection point where I think as my kids start to get older and can talk back. Right. And they can push me on things like, you know, I'm getting a lot more of the, you know, mom, you're traveling so much. I missed you. You weren't at this event. You weren't home. And that makes me feel terrible. It's actually different when they're little. When they're little, they don't really know. Um, and, and you know, you may be missing milestones, but you, your kids can't really reflect that back to you. But at this age, they can really reflect it back oh. to you. So there's a combination of that and, you know, other things that are help, happening in our family that lately I've really, I've really sort of try to take a much more thoughtful approach to my next step or how we evaluate choices. Ultimately, Matt, it's it is it's progressive, right? We're we're learning as as we go. Every experience teaches us something new about how we want to approach right the next endeavor. Um but I'll I'll say, you know, for myself, I'm I'm a 45-year-old woman with with two kids kind of midstream in my career. This is really the first time 
I would say over the last couple of years where, where I'm really starting to look around and, and question, right? Is that next move something I want to do? Um, am I willing to, to take the travel or do I not want to travel as much right now? Uh, y- you know, and I haven't really before. So I just want to be really honest about it, that it's been like full steam ahead. And now we have to think about things in a slightly different way because our life circumstances are changing. I always, in my mind, and it's always a bit warped, but I, I always remember chemical equations when I was a kid in high school. Mm. And and for whatever reason, that spoke to me. Chemistry and physics that never made sense to me except for the equations. Balancing the equations mathematically made sense. Yeah. And whenever I talk about people's careers, that's what it always looks like to me. You know, there's there's the two equations and, and there's the line in the middle and you've got to yeah. make sure it all – so you're swinging things underneath and over – and it's the same kind of approach where the variables change yeah. or, you know, not the exponents, the um, – what do they call the small numbers at, at the bottom? The, oh, the, the numerator, numerator and denominator? No, there's a word for it and then I'm blanking on. That's terrible. Different equations. No, nah, no. It's, it's like carbon has like a two. It's the number of molecules it's called. A, oh, yeah. Not an exponent. It's it's the other thing. Um, yeah. So. Those variables change for you every year mm-hmm. with your life, your spouse, your kids, your personal life, your health, your financial situation. Yeah. It changes. So people think, you know, oh, this is finite. I'm like, well, yeah, technically your time with your kids or your time with this is is limited, but it's just going to be replaced by another time that's limited. And so it's not like you stop becoming a parent or you stop becoming a spouse or you stop becoming a career person or, or anything else. It's just the variables of that particular situation have changed. And that's why sometimes travel is okay. Sometimes it's title. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. commute. And, mm-hmm. and that's always what, what drives it is whatever at the time is the most important piece. And so you seem to have an excellent perspective in my well, eyes. Well, I, I, I got I to jump – Thank you. Um, I have to jump in on that though. And I love, I love the metaphor around, around the equation because the way I think young people and young women in particular approach their professional careers is they're only looking at one side of the equation, right? They're looking at money, title, and role. Um, and, and all these other sort of life considerations are either not part of the equation or, or they're, they're weighted differently. And that may or may not be appropriate. One could argue that when you're starting out in your career, um, your priorities are different than maybe where they are midstream versus versus later. But considering how you put that, Matt, I would say that, you know, one of the most valuable pieces of input I, I've gotten actually from friends and peers of mine who are women is to really think more comprehensively about, about what it is in that equation and actually to give me permission to consider things like travel. Uh, time zone differences, right? With companies that we work at. I, it, it just made me realize that I think as a woman professional, I hadn't felt the agency or the power to, to make some of those things part of the decision set or part of the negotiating set, right? Whereas other people get hip to that really quick. And so I, I had an epiphany this last year where I was like, oh man, have I been leaving stuff on the table <laughs> when I'm either, you know, negotiating for a position, negotiating for a raise or, or evaluating other career opportunities? I have been very sort of, you know, again, title, title comp and and maybe like location oriented, but there, there are all these other variables, right. That should be part of the equation that I'm, I'm now starting to uh, think about with more intention. No, it's absolutely true. And, and you know what that comes from 
is is communication and learning. So the, I'm a part of MedTech Women. Uh, yeah. And I absolutely love that group. And you got you to tell all your listeners that is, and, and for men too, actually, people need to check out that organization. Well, They're, because the conversations they have are eye-opening. And, and I was just there at their vision conference um, last month. And in September, yeah. It, it was just, it was just mind blowing because the things they were talking about and the patient keynote that they had and the conversations that it led to, you could see they all were having epiphanies all over the place. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, man, this is what a conference should be. This is the whole yeah. point of this. Yeah. And it comes from communication and yes. and listening, you know, and yeah. and luckily everything was so captivating that listening was the easy part. The question is, what do you do with it? Do they do they take it away and they go somewhere with it? They are they empowered enough to actually do something actionable that I don't know, but I can tell you it was, it was uplifting. And I think that's where it comes from with what you're saying is women talking to other women and letting them know, look, this is what I did, you know, and, and you should try it or ask me and I'll tell you what I, what I did. And I'll give you some information on mine and you can take it or leave it. And it's, it comes from not being afraid to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the thing that sometimes women are are taught growing up is you shouldn't ask, you shouldn't push, you shouldn't press. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why not? I mean, who, yeah. If you don't, who will? No, I I love that so much. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna add some commentary there. Um, you know, to to your point of okay, you know, the point of being in a conference is is an exchange of ideas, right? And hopefully, the birth of new ones. You know, I would actually say even if you leave the environment without anything immediately actionable, it's, it's going to play out at some point, right? You're, you're getting that idea, that knowledge that will absolutely be instrumental at some moment, right? Along your career path. There, there are decisions I make now that are informed by an experience I had 10 years ago, but it's, it's still there. And, and that's what I think sort of the beauty and power of, of some of that is. Um, I think the second thing that I, I again, I love about those environments is yes, creating a, a space for for women professionals who are interested in right certain problems. And in this case, we we're talking about you know the medical technology space. But one of my most important lessons learned over the last couple of years, which I I would like to just share right now, is that you know women professionals and women leaders, we also have to get comfortable having that level of dialogue in a room without women or not without women, but in a, in a, in a heterogeneous sort of space. And I think both are necessary, right? I think you need sort of the, the affinity spaces, whether it's, it's a woman's group or, you know, black, Hispanic, whatever, because there are challenges that are unique, right. To those groups. And we need to come together and sort of share, share our learnings. But my, my, my challenge to myself has been, how do I take that? And then, you know, sort of use my, my skills, my experience, my, my confidence to drive that type of learning and information exchange with men, right? It, it, it sort of goes back to even as a black woman, you know, we want to find other mentors who are black women in the space, but sometimes they're just not available. Yeah. How, how do you how do you garner mentorship from from men? Some of my best mentors have been white men, Asian men, and and I almost you know I'm worried I'm going to get hate mail saying that out loud, but uh, you know one of the best professional conversations I had this year was my husband's boss. Really? My husband's boss came for dinner. This was wild. My husband's boss, who he had recently resigned from from their company, came for dinner earlier this year. And Matt, I swear to God, like I, I pounced on this guy because I I found him so fascinating 
I think my husband felt a little left out. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I need to talk to this man. <laughs> I, I, I found his his sort of career journey so fascinating and in some ways was really mirroring either struggles I'd had or things I was trying to do. Um, and so I I really dove in like over a glass of wine at dinner and I, I picked his brain on a lot of things. Like he, you know, at multiple points in his career had just taken some time off to be on the beach. Um, he had taken sort of moments in between sort of opportunities to travel with his kids or, or do these different things. And I was like, you can do that. He was like, oh yeah. And I was like, tell me how you navigated that. Or how do you, how do you explain, right? These gaps in your resume to your boss. And then, you, you know, we talked about people management and it was one of the most enriching conversations I've had all year with this like six foot six Viking white guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I love that you brought up MedTech, MedTech Women and the MedTech Vision Conference, because it is, it's a powerful space. My and to it is that I, I would hope that, you know, women continue to use those spaces to feel empowered and take that empowerment into your other intersections, right, of life and, and always be looking to, you know, get that knowledge, get those ideas, those sparks of creativity, uh, the mentorship, right? Um, because you need both. You need both. Yeah, I, I, I found and I, I know some of them for 15, 20 years. They live yeah. that life. That That is who yeah. they are with their families, yeah. with their friends, with their health, with their parents, with everything else. Because I've interviewed a bunch of them. They've been on this podcast yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they are mind-blowing. But I will admit there's a couple that I've met that are still on that journey. They're not, they're not there yet. They don't feel like they deserve to be there. There's a bit of imposter syndrome going on. You know, they're mm -hmm. a VP and, you know, they're – you know, my – you know, am I earning enough? Is this is this is this too much? Am I asking for too much? <laughs> no, ask for as much as you can get. Mm -hmm. Go for a C level title. Come on, let's. You know, I'm I'm usually nudging. You know, I, I am a tremendous nudge. That is for sure. Um, I don't know. I've just always felt like that way, and it, it's just a different kind of approach. But I, I find it fascinating. One thing I would counsel you on, if you want to add an and from my side, is MedTech Color. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've been a part of the group. Or, mm -hmm. or are you not, not yet. No, it, it is, but I'm, I'm super, yeah, I'm, I'm super familiar. Um, listen, I'm in a place right now where if I even make it to, to a conference, it's, it's a win, but yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled to see that they're, they're taking and adapting that model, it, right. And in, into a space that is, there's just a vacuum. We it, there's at, a vacuum. Of course. We were at the Avamed concert in Boston. Concert. Listen to me. Conference in yeah. Boston was that a week ago? Two weeks yeah. ago? And we went to a breakfast that we were sponsoring uh, mm -hmm. with MedTech Color. And the speaker was this guy that blew the room away. He's the VP of regulatory at J&J, Lamont Bryant. Mm -hmm. And and look, I've been hearing speakers all my life. I love to speak myself. And I'm so I'm a bit of a mm, nitpicky about it. I told him something. I pulled him aside afterwards. And he's a huge guy, by the way. And you, you haven't met me, but I'm tiny. So it was pretty funny. And I said, you could always tell how good a conversation like that goes when you can hear the silence. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop with this mm -hmm. guy. Everybody, like Cheryl Samory, leaning forward like this, everyone, mm -hmm. and just listening to this guy just talk. And he's brilliant. And he's, he's unbelievable. So – I, if you ever want, I'll introduce you all around because they, they are phenomenal people and they could definitely use someone like that. And sounds like maybe someone could help you as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate the call out. Um, and I appreciate the call out, especially in this forum, so we can raise awareness, right, mm -hmm. of, 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 you know, these individuals and organizations that are really 
doing the work, to be quite frank, that that others like myself benefit from. Um, this is a, a little bit of an aside, but you know, we've been trying to work on this within iRhythm, right? Going from a very startup environment where, you know, there were no affinity groups or no real organization, uh, you know, besides culture committees on, on any front. And as we, as we mature, you know, we're trying to take the, the, you know, incubation of grassroots efforts and systematize them, right. And, and really trying to help these organizations grow and have impact on, on the business, right. And on, on the, the people that we serve, right. As, as a business. And so, it's a really exciting time to be to be within the organization for that reason. But it's funny, you know, at some point somebody came to me and they said, Oh, you know, Simona, I heard, right, the the Black and African American group is getting off the ground. You must be leading it. And I was like, I have absolutely nothing to do with this. And I couldn't be happier. Could <laughs> yeah. not be happier. You you ask any any black woman my age if if there's the occasion where we just get to show up and participate. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing because we've organized all the things, right? We've organized all the things. And so um, I, it, it, it honestly, it just, it gives me, it gives me real hope. It sounds cheesy, but there's no other word I, I have right now to describe how I'm feeling when I get to participate in things like this, that I didn't build or lead. Right. It means that, that others are paying it forward. Other people are like organizing around this. And so, um, it's a very happy day for me. Well, you, you sound a little like me in that, and correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I, I know you, but obviously, um, maybe not in this way, but I like to think of myself as what's called a reluctant leader, which means <laughs> somehow I wind up getting in that spot, but I rarely ever seek it. And, and I love when I don't have to, I love when I'm in a group that they like where I work, Joe is a significant leader. I mean, he is exceptional. Yeah. He doesn't need me to lead. I, I lead in small pockets, but he's so good at it that they don't need it. And I love it. But in the other things that I do in my personal life and some professional stuff, it happens that way. And you sound the same way where you don't really choose it. It kind of chooses you. Yeah. But it sure is great when you can just be a part of it. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's your, your aptitude for, for understanding character and what motivates people is, is so strong, Matt. It's one of the things I love about you. Um, that is a hundred percent true. Like reluctant leader, you could brand that on my forehead. Um, and people are surprised when they learn that about me because I'm so type A. Um, I, I'm involved in all the things or I lead all the things. And then in my personal life, I lead all the things and that's exhausting. <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, it kind of goes back to the roots of, of my childhood, right? I was always reluctant. I was a reluctant participant in a lot of things I did. And my parents just nudged me and nudged me and nudged me until, until I kind of built, built this muscle. It's not innate, right? I, yeah. I wasn't, you know, you meet some people that are just like my younger daughter, she was just born with it right? Maybe you're born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. My younger daughter was just born with it. She's, she's charismatic. She's outgoing. She has high self-confidence. Um, that was not me by any stretch. I've always been nudged. And even today, a lot of what I do is, is this learned behavior, right? Of, of feeling the, the obligation, not because my natural inclination is to want to be in front. Yeah. My guess is she's just emulating you. I mean, you have a high degree of confidence. You have this incredibly articulate way of communicating that are coherent and cohesive sentences. I never hear you say um and uh ever. And that is just who you are. And girls watch their moms. I mean, my daughter watches my wife like a hawk, picks at her, makes her crazy because she's 18 now and she's an adult and she reminds us every 20 minutes and yes. it's very different. But daughters watch their moms because they, they want to 
be able to pick and choose because there's this, there's this fierce independence that comes along with daughters, I think. At least mm-hmm. this has been my experience and my nieces. I mean, I've seen this with a lot of girls and teenagers. And I always say the same thing to my girl, which is mom and I are a buffet. Pick the good stuff, leave the bad. And of course, she picks my worst quality, which is I have zero patience, like for anything. And I just can't. I can't wait. I can't sit still. I can't. And so she gets like that. I'm like, could you have chosen something else? I have other qualities. (laughs) You chose the worst thing about me. But um, but thankfully, she chose the great things from my wife. And but it's because she watches. And I'm willing to bet that your two girls watch you in everything that you do. And the reason why she is that confident and that comfortable is because you've become that way. I mean. God willing, right? Um, and that's it's it's fantastic when it works out, but you know, we also become acutely aware, like you said, right, of the the qualities that may be less desirable that they also pick up on, right? And and this goes back to to you know some dialogue we we're having a few minutes ago around the equation, right, that we're balancing in our lives. Having children that again are mirroring back to me the things that they're observing. And they can now both do it in pretty articulate ways. It's eye-opening. It's eye-opening to how they perceive you and what they're taking away and the signals they're taking away. My my nine-year-old knows that I'm stressed. She knows that I am perpetually stressed out. I am also impatient. And unfortunately, I am impatient in my work life. And I am also impatient in my personal life. And I I have to really work hard to to sort of shift into a different gear with, with, my family, my husband and my kids, and not just be sort of work Sonona at home because that sucks. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm pretty lovely to work with, but, but still, right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, you I know, get it. I think being impatient though prompts yeah. you to get things done that that's part of the reason that you're in charge, that you are what you are, because there's a certain level of impatience with you because it has to be done, has to be done now. If you were a procrastinator and you were a person who didn't matter if it wasn't done and it doesn't phase you one way or another, then you wouldn't be in charge of anything. No one would look to you to do anything because you're not a doer, but you are. So own it. And and I, I, I laugh at myself whenever yeah. I behave in an impatient way. I'm like, hey, what, what's the difference? What are, what are you getting concerned about? <laughs> and and I, that's the only thing I've gotten better at. I accept that I'm that way, but I laugh at it now. Oh, my God. Instead, well, instead getting frustrated, you, you, I I'm, laughing. I'm, I'm sure you've been down this road with your wife, but where, where marriage gets really interesting is where you start looking at your spouse from the, from the perspective of like an employee or a coworker. Yeah. <laughs> what, you know, one time I, 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 I think I've only said this once to my husband because I would like to stay married, but I remember one time we were having a minor, right. Minor disagreement and approach on something. And I, I remember I was like, do you do this at work? <laughs> Cause I would I, like I made some comment. I was like, I would shut that down like so fast yeah. if you did this at work. Please tell me you don't you don't do this at work, right? This behavior. My husband has also said to me, right, because he's in sales. When we have arguments around, you said no, I heard this, no, you know, you know. My husband said to me, you know, I am a highly effective communicator. I do this for a living, and if you didn't hear this message from me, that was because of you, yeah. not because of me. I was like, oh my god. You could you could write a play. I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> yep. My for a while there was a line with my wife, which was she's she is right ninety eight percent of the time. The woman just is never wrong. It's really irritating. She's just so smart <laughs> and so together and so organized. Which I'm none of those things. I'm much more. I do things by feel, and it makes her crazy. And 
a couple of times I had to sit her down and go, look at me. And she looks at my face and I said, I don't work for you. And, and she would just, you know, she'd push back and I said, there it is. You got me? Cause she had a lot of people working for her and she was just used to being, yeah. this is what right. we're doing. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to wear that costume to the costume party. I don't want to eat that. I don't want to go yeah. on that vacation. I want yeah. to do this. And it made her insane. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah. but our oh, marriage has gotten familiar. to a place where we can, we can have it now. Now we have that conversation daily and she loves that. I go, you know what? Let's go to that Korean place. And she's like Korean food. I'm like, yeah, you know, let's go. And, and so I've brought her to that point and she's brought me to a point where I'm much more rational. So mm. we've definitely brought each other up. Mm. But look, you've been absolutely phenomenal. I could talk to you all day. Um, man, just great. Every bit is good. I told them in the control room, I'm like, you'll see. Sangoda is going to bring the fire oh. on this thing. Oh. So I just want to thank you for being on it. Um, it. It really makes my day to get the chance to talk to somebody like you. And we're going to spread the gospel together. We are. I mean, this is this is fantastic. This is a little bit of like uh, group therapy. Yeah. Let's let's That's do this. Point. Let's do this every Thursday. Um, you got it. But you know, I'll I'll, I'll look at what I said earlier. You know, your your understanding of of humans and behavior, um, and what motivates people, and you know, you know what what sort of intellect and creativity look like. You know, it's really it's really unparalleled. So, you know, you're doing a great thing here by facilitating this dialogue. There still aren't enough spaces for dialogue like this, right. Where we can, we can have honest conversation around, you know, the marriage, pardon, pardon the, the pun, right. Of, of work and life and family. So I, I really love what you're doing here. I love watching your other episodes. I encourage you to keep doing it. It's, yeah, it's so it's needed fun. in this space. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This yeah, was, this was fun. This is an easy choice. Well, this has been the family business where we discuss how family and careers are intertwined. This has been Sangona Orieta. And she is fabulous. Thanks so much for being on her. Thank you. Thank you for having me.